This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Rock Godzilla Loves Kirk! Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review show where we put the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gep, and I am joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izex. Hi! And this week, oof. Oof. Yeah. We got mud again. That's it. That's the whole review. <laughs> We're done. Now, I think there's a little bit more to it than that, but... Only kind of. <laughs> so this is the third, and I th- I'm pretty sure final appearance of Harry Mudd in the original series. They keep bringing him back for some reason. Shows up a couple times in uh, Discovery and uh, Short Treks there, but uh, in a much more, I guess, uh, villainous sort of uh, vibe as opposed to, well, this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this episode is called Mud's Passion. Already not excited for that. <laughs> like well he could be passionate about reading you know yeah why why isn't it like mud's passion oh my god oh, he's taking up fly fishing oh cool all right <laughs> or, you know it was uh, maybe building miniature trains you know mm-hmm. yeah and retiring in his old age this uh, episode was written by Stephen candle who did all of the mud episodes he, he like the original one was was conceived by gene roddenberry but he came up uh, Kendall came up with the original concept for Mud as a villain, did the teleplay for the first Mud's Women, and then wrote uh, I, Mud, and this Mud's Passion. Yes. Uh, yeah, this isn't his only writing credit. He's quite prolific, actually. Uh, in fact, uh, wrote like a whole bunch of episodes of MacGyver. Yeah. He's also going to write one more animated series episode that I don't know if I'm looking forward to called Jihad. Yeah, uh, is it the jihad? Might be the jihad. I saw it as jihad in my notes, but anyway, it it deals with anyway. <laughs> with religious extremism. It's fun. Oh my! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't re- know this until I was reading up on some stuff for this episode. Apparently, Mud was originally conceived as a possible intro villain for the um, for the cage instead of the aliens because they thought audiences wouldn't be able to wrap their head around aliens and maybe they should give them a more relatable kind of swashbuckling human villain that could have been in any any old western yes <laughs> so you know very much you know it's like well this is western but in space but so let's just import our western villains as well mm-hmm. okay <laughs> which like as much as i have some criticisms of it as a show still uh, Firefly is the only show I've ever seen that has pulled off Western in space with any kind of anything. Yeah, and, and uh, it, it kind of very much fits the vibe and construction of their uh, their universe there uh, to have it uh, sort of run a certain way, and it, it works, you know? This is just Western tropes thrown on top of sci-fi conventions for just to make it TV popular, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Star Trek is uh, a amalgamation of tropes. Hooray! <laughs> so anyway, Mud's back. Um, yes. I, I don't know where we're going to wind up with this one, so... Uh, I got a few things to maybe talk about, Good. but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, do have Roger Carmel uh, back as uh, uh, voicing Mud, but he's uh, not credited. So. That is true. Yeah, I forgot to write that down. 
Mud is back. <laughs> Mud is completely back. And oh my god, is he animated creepily? Yes. <laughs> so you know, I, I guess so. They wanted to up the uh, the skeevy factor a certain degree, and they were successful. All right, I guess let's get going and figure out where where we're hitting with this. So I- yes. The Enterprise is approaching the Arcadian star system, specifically a planet called Motherlode, which I guess is some sort of mining thing. Ah, I wonder if they're going to be finding lots of gold there. Zamont predicts that there is, in fact, an 81% chance that they will find the infamous con man Harry Mudd. Uh, uh, why are you going so specific here, Spock? I don't know. And then later they go like, <laughs> we'll check your figures. Like, how do they know if his figures are right if there's an 81% chance? When they get there, there's either a 100% chance or a 0% chance. Yeah, well, uh, maybe they uh, are, are doing a quantum experiment here and they are looking into multiple uh, versions of reality in order to determine the actual percentage of times that uh, they locate uh, Harry Mudd on this planet. Or they think they're going to find 81% of him there. Uh-oh. Um... Sorry, Harry, but uh, you're going to be missing some limbs or something, hopefully. So Kirk and Spock beam down to find Mud giving a good old snake oil-style speech to a group of miners. He's up on a stage and everything, uh, made up largely of humans and humanoid wolf bears. Yes, uh, the the Ursinoids? Maybe. I don't know if they named them. Oh, uh, that's that's why I have my notes here. (laughs) He is selling love potions, more specifically love potion crystals. So uh, it's just like crystal meth where you like smoke it or something. Yeah, or break it or so. They're they're very unclear how you're supposed to use these things. Uh, It's guaranteed to make any person of the opposite sex find you irresistible. Also, if it's someone of the same sex, you're super good friends. And that is all. Yeah. And nothing else. Just super good friends. Just, Just the best friends. Such good friends. You're my best friend that I ever had. He demonstrates. They ask for proof, of course. The crowd goes, proof, proof. And he demonstrates by having a random woman there who just happens to be on stage with him. Well, uh, hello, random lady. Um, Do you have a name? No? No. Okay. She starts asking him to go back to the ship and other suggestive things. And Mud claims this is because he used one of the crystals on himself earlier. Um, I don't know why anyone trusts this. Yeah, <laughs> Kirk and Spock walk up to the stage at this point. Mud dismisses them because apparently this planet does not recognize Federation law, so they can't do anything. Ah, so they're outside the Federation then. It's just yeah. sort of randomly settled by a bunch of people. Good hiding oh, spot, I suppose. However, Kirk does tell Mud that he can surrender himself right before Spock reveals that the woman on stage is actually some sort of pink reptile called a Rigelian hypnoid that was projecting a false image of the woman and the miners start throwing stones at mud and yelling so he decides that arrest is the better option mm, save me save me um but you know just, just don't don't be too rough and don't put me in actual jail please i have no? so many oh, questions yeah. <laughs> here like like this woman what it was obviously a fraud because there's just some random sexily dressed woman standing there it's not even like he grabbed someone out of the crowd yeah. So it's obviously just a plant. Why mm-hmm. Why does it matter if she's some sort of reptile projection? It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. He, he could have gotten an, uh, you know, an actress to come on and like, yeah, just be all over me and uh, you'll get paid. Apparently it was easier to get some sort of psychic reptile. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe in the future, uh, anyone that uh, would uh, take a job like this has just too much ethics for uh, for for Mud here. So he also probably didn't want to have to split the money. But sure. I still just question everything about this scene. <laughs> it's like this is just more convoluted than it needs to be. Yeah, 
So, there you. so how about those uh, putting sci-fi tropes on things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's not even like, aha, it's the sun, or you do know each other. My God. No, it's a lizard. <laughs> oh, oh, well, that's different, I guess. <laughs> uh, in a Western show, this would have been a dude in a wig, so... Better. I guess that's an improvement. So hmm. On the ship, Mud is immediately thrown into the brig, where Spock asks Nurse Chapel to do a medical report. She tries to compliment Spock, who immediately brushes it off and leaves, and Mud sees this as an opportunity. Despite being very bad at manipulating people, he's able to convince Nurse Chapel to take one of his love crystals and try to use it on Spock. Um, Nurse Chapel, you're usually one of the smarter people around here. So this is kind of really disappointing. And she keeps arguing. It's such a bad... She's like, no, why should I trust you? Because Spock's hot. You're right. Damn it. <laughs> can't, can't defeat your logic, Harry Mud. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently all she needs to do is break the crystal, rub it on her skin, and then that'll change her body chemistry or some such, and then she'll touch Spock and he'll fall all over her. But when she breaks the crystal, she immediately goes weak, leaving Mud able to grab her phaser and ID card before locking him back in his cell. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, good thing you're too distracted by this love potion business to uh, check your wallet. Also, they have ID cards now. Yes, that's new. <laughs> it's for some reason a huge plot point, sort of. He's, he spends minutes later removing her picture, putting it in a computer thingy, taking his own picture, not changing the name, but his picture. Yep. So now he is Nurse Chapel, yes. <laughs> and then using it on the computer later to open a door, like the computer cares what picture's on the card. Maybe it does, and it's just really bad at everything else. <laughs> yeah, what? What? <laughs> when did we get ID cards? <laughs> well, maybe after the nth time of, you know, some, you know, super being taking over the ship or something like that. They're like, you know, maybe we should, like, have any actual, like, hard, you know, wear security here. Um, ID cards, that'll work, right? Well, you know, I was, I was literally just now editing the Survivor episode where we said mm -hmm. that maybe they should have some procedures in place to forget any random look-alike from taking over the ship. Yes. <laughs> but apparently all the computer cares about is that you have the ID with the right picture on it, so I don't think this is helping. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since you could change out the picture pretty easily, apparently. Yeah, the computer doesn't even question this. Yep. Anyway, Chapel heads off to see Spock. Um, and the ship stops momentarily to investigate an unexplored star system. This is just important, so we know we're near planets. Yes. So, uh... Well, uh, yeah, this planet is, uh, you know, uncharted, and uh, despite it being next to other things that we have charted, so let's go check it out. Yeah. She gives Spock a report in his quarters and accidentally falls down on him. He is perplexed and asks her to leave, making her very angry at Mud. Well, uh, apparently the snake oil salesman has sold you some snake oil. Uh, I know. Yeah. Later on, though, Spock mentions her name while dictating a report and goes, Oh, lovely Christine. Oh no, it actually Lovely. works? Then he immediately runs to the bridge and goes, I have some feelings. Could be an issue. Yeah, because I'm like a Vulcan and this is confusing, man. I just love it because nobody's reacting. He comes up and goes, he goes, Kirk, McCoy. And they're just sitting there doing work. He's, I have some feelings. He goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> Impossible! <laughs> so Chapel returns to the brig to find that Mud is gone. Dang it! I've been bamboozled again! He's used her ID to sneak into the shuttle bay, and she's able to catch up to him and confront him, but is somehow 
incapacitated. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how this happens. He he dodges the phaser, grabs her, and she is suddenly unconscious. Hmm. Well, uh, maybe the there's some after effects of the uh, the drug that makes you bad sh- at shooting people and pass out randomly maybe but he's going to take her hostage and he escapes on the shuttlecraft however while he was running around he did drop a handful of his crystals by an air vent whoops hopefully nothing weird happens with that on the bridge they see mud escaping and he has a hostage this infuriates spock who demands that they go after his true love S- spock smash harry mud for stealing christina chapel Mud takes the shuttle to a nearby planet and plans on leaving Chapel there to, you know, keep her contained while he flees. So at least he's not planning on keeping her forever. Yeah, yeah that's something at least. You know, it's like, well, I got a hostage. I don't really want a hostage. I just kind of needed one for the moment there. And yeah, if I leave you behind, they'll be distracted trying to pick you up and I can run away. Hooray. Kirk decides that he should beam down and Spock insists on tagging along because he needs to go save his true love and everything. Um, Spock, I think your uh, judgment's compromised right now. Uh, do you think that might be a, a terrible idea? <laughs> yep, probably, but, you know, he's too strong to stop. <laughs> oh, I guess we have to bow down to uh, a Spock's superior uh, uh, strength or something like that here, I guess. They go to leave, and then crystal gas starts coming out of the air vents all over the ship. <gasps> oh no, the math! Including an air vent that's on the transporter pad for some reason. <laughs> I was watching this, and this popped up, and I literally went, "Has that that that's that's not there?" Yeah, has that always been there? I, I don't that think hasn't so. been there. <laughs> and they just plopped down the drawing of the vent, like right by their feet, so it's like a vertical vent on a horizontal surface, and it yes, it's just bad. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> so, uh, so they got some uh, exposure to the, uh, the 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 magic crystals here. So Lieutenant Imrez, who's the, you know, her replacement cat girl, and Scotty start flirting. Uh, later on, they show that Eric's is playing a weird multi-armed guitar thing. Everyone's very, very relaxed on the bridge is the point. Yeah, everyone's grooving, man. The landing party materializes on the planet and Spock trips on the soft sand and gets caught by Kirk, and they both get all teary-eyed and go, I'm so glad that I have a friend like you. No, I'm glad I have a friend like you. Bro hug, oh my god. This is is the best friendship of all time, man. Nothing will ever compare to it. They already acted like this. Yes. (laughs) But now they're being more more vocal about it, I guess. That's true. But this this is literally their entire dynamic. Yep. (laughs) It's like, we're good friends and one of us doesn't have emotions. It's literally Mm -hmm. it. I guess now they both have emotions, so it's it's different. Anyway, Spock sees Chapel and runs up to save her because Spock love. Ponfar, you know. However, this is not the best reunion because there's a large rock dinosaur thing that wakes up and starts stomping around. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, I guess we're going to be killed by G- Rock Godzilla today, so uh, mm-hmm. let's try not to do, you know die from that. Which, though, I will say, I did not realize how many references were in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> yes <laughs> it's a giant rock monster go for his eyes oh the, the ones here actually do have eyes okay <laughs> yeah this one does have eyes so fine <laughs> kirk calls for beam out but the transporter operator is dancing hmm. so um everyone's really really getting into the swing of things here yeah the bridge crew is distracted mccoy is telling stories to a woman who's sitting on his lap no one's doing anything 
Everyone's in the uh, the Mackin zone here. Uh, Mata has no idea how long these things last. He didn't even know these things worked. Well, um, so why did you have to swindle somebody to get them? I don't know. This, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. It's like he, he swindled someone out of a thing that they claimed did a thing and didn't believe that they did a thing, but they actually do do the thing that they claimed and he didn't know. You know maybe he was like, well, if you break them, you get some weird chemical on your skin and that... That looks real enough, right? I guess we'll run with it. Uh, I'll take a dozen. <laughs> I mean, he just assumed that everyone's going to cheat everyone, so why would he believe that they'd sold him something that really functioned? Yeah, well, that kind of makes sense, actually, yeah. Makes sense for his character. Everyone swindles everyone, no one tells the truth. Oh my god, someone told the truth. <laughs> so, now they are trying to figure out what to do, but also, there's another rock monster that woke up, and now they just have two of these things to deal with. Two Godzillas? This is getting out of hand. Kirk gets an idea, and he grabs Mud's crystals and has them all shoot at one of the creatures until it roars, and then Kirk throws all the crystals into its open mouth. Uh, Kirk, you got quite the uh, arm on ya. Well, maybe there's low gravity here, I'm not sure. This, it was very unclear what was happening, but I think what they're going for is that the crystals made the Godzilla thing love Kirk, so they start fighting each other instead of trying to eat the humans. Yes. It's like, oh, you're trying to go after my my new true love here, uh, other rock monster. I will prevent you from doing this. Now we're distracted. I was weirded out by, I thought that it was going to make the rock monsters fall in love and then they would leave. Yep. <laughs> that, that's what I thought the plan was. But, but first thing, it's like, oh, we got to very carefully touch Kirk instead of just squishing him. Uh, and, uh, oh, now we're, oh, you just, oh, he's just so... He's so dreamy. Come on. We, yeah. Why, why are you trying to... Why, stop trying to kill my, my boyfriend. Come on. So anyway, now they're fighting. They have time to deal with uh, stuff and wait for Beam out because now the rock monsters are taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. Like, well, uh, we could just keep running away and hope we don't run into more rock monsters or we kind of just hide over here, I guess. Uh, plans. Uh, they're something we kind of do sometimes. So back on the ship, everyone has a hangover. And Rez and Scotty hate each other now. Scotty, you... you Cat girls are neat and such, but you have to be careful. You can get burned. Uh, now they're all done being flirty and relaxed and whatever. They finally notice that the away team has been trying to contact them for the last however long, and they finally get beamed out. Oh, um, well, it's good we came down from our drug high. Uh, so uh, we'll uh, go rescue people. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Back on the ship, uh, Mud's listing off his crimes. Uh, Spock asks Chapel to assist in the confession thingy, but she goes, Hmph, I hate you now, and... He goes, oh, the side effects of this drug aren't worth it, Mud. So it, it, it sort of uh, does a uh, get everyone super uh, into each other and then really pissy. Yeah, basically. Hmm. So that's it. They agree Mud's going to be sent back to rehabilitation. He goes, oh, but I would hate to leave all my loved ones. <laughs> uh, yeah, just go away, Mud. He evil laughs really often in this episode. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Harry Mudd is kind of a a awful person, and uh, even when he's trying to exude like actual appreciation for people, he doesn't really know how to turn turn off that evilness. Yeah, thus, even when he's trying to convince people, it's like, "Oh, Nurse Chapel, you should definitely use this. It would help you so much." <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Nothing. Um, yes, ignore my my creepy laugh here. It's fine. <laughs> evil laugh? What evil laugh? <laughs> you must be hearing things. Stop gaslighting me, Harry. Come on. There's so 
there's so many wrongs in here. Yeah, I don't know where to start. I don't. This episode didn't really have a plot. They're they're really. What's weird? It's really weird because they're trying to do this this pretty standard like seen in a lot of things. This really standard sci-fi thing of oh no, everyone's gotten love potioned or drunk or whatever, and now the crew gets to kind of play around and do fun stuff. Yes, and so- possibly even like express latent feelings or whatever right now you use it for shipping bait uh i believe uh th- there is a uh, an episode of deep space nine that also did something uh, kind of similar where mm-hmm. uh you know, this person's now falling in love with this person but they're falling in love with this other person and uh yeah and uh, you sort of test out various sort of ships there some mm-hmm. of them really they did that i think stargate did it at least once uh the the weirdness is they they didn't spend much time with it. The animation doesn't let them do anything fun. Like, the actors don't get to play around. And Indeed. they just kind of leave it as a weird side thing. And they've already done this in yep. the first season. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a bad remake of Naked Time. Yep. Yeah, we're going to have something weird happen. And all, we're all going to be kind of out of character, but also kind of not at the same time. It's going to be weird. And uh, we're just going to you know, cut loose and... Oh, we don't have enough time to actually do that. Um, never mind then. Yeah, rock, rock, rock dinosaurs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> gotta have our action. <laughs> this episode's kind of lame. <laughs> it's really bad, but there's there's something I didn't find this one as very endearing at all. But there's always something that I enjoy about watching or reading really old science fiction and seeing how they deal with stuff that we kind of take for granted now, and just the different mm-hmm. ways that things are problematic throughout history. Yes. If you made this in the 90s, they would have to address the but it's not gay, though, thing. Because in the 90s, everyone was very concerned with but is it gay, though? It's like, oh, uh, uh, no, it's uh, just the chemicals working on us. We don't we didn't have any choice. Uh, I don't actually have these feelings for you um, for reals. Yeah. And they'd like have a joke where they're like, you know, made dreamy eyes at each other or something. And then later it was really awkward possibly like you know but but this mm-hmm. one they like they don't even think they have to address it because this is the 70s and gay people don't exist yet yes so they're just really good friends so yeah you know, because uh, you know gay people will not be invented until 1984 uh they just like oh yeah we're just best friends forever and uh, there's there's no other subtext here at all yeah which interestingly is kind of how uh gay people have been sort of like, you know, swept under the rug through a lot of uh, history while, mm-hmm. like, we go back and forth. We oscillate. We have all these, we have fa- several fairly distinct zones of dealing with, you know, non-heterosexual relationships. And, like, right now we're moving in, we're moving from a, like, completely illegal ban it and we don't even talk about it or think about it or it's just straight wrong into more of an accepted in society kind of thing. We're in the transition mm-hmm. phase. Uh, yes. Lots of old older societies. It was just freaking normal, and no one cared. Um, Greeks and Romans thought it was better than straight relationships. Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> you're not you know being driven to reproduce or something. I guess uh, so. It's it must be true love. Well, like you know, men are superior, so being in love with a man is definitely superior. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't fault the logic. I, I don't agree with the premises, yeah. but you can't fault the logic. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the premises is the problem here. 
Uh, but in even even times that we would think of as very clamped down and conservative, like Middle Ages, people didn't really talk about homosexuality as far as we can tell. It was kind of a thing that you knew about people, but didn't really matter. Even up into like the Victorian era mm-hmm. and a little after, no one really cared as long as you also had a straight relationship and kids because that was more societal you you like did that you didn't you weren't expected to care about your spouse very much that's a fairly recent thing in our modern history mm-hmm. the idea that you're going to like find someone and care about them and then get married it was kind of the other way around you will be assigned someone or have a political marriage and you will appreciate each other as someone that you spend a lot of time around but you know if you also have your best friend who happens to sleep in the same bed, that's fine. Yeah, you know, it, this is, you know, we got the, the sort of the, the, the business marriage, and then we also have our free time and our, our, our relationships with that. Yeah, as long as you kept up the business marriage to social acceptability, no one really cared what else you did. Uh, you are uh, reproducing at a sufficient rate, and thus everyone's okay. Yeah. Now, the 70s, 60s, 70s were not a good time for this. Like, there, you didn't have a lot of the confirmed bachelor stuff it was kind of a joke but it was definitely in the moral panic era mm-hmm. well you know it's also sort of you know i guess thinking back you know it's like okay so the nature of relationships was very much changing at the you know during this uh, uh era where it was less about you know having that you know that that 3d6 kids there and more of a all right you can actually sort of choose to have a family or not. And it's really kind of up to you entirely. And so the, and so those that are very much on the traditional minds, like, wait, you know, there's, there's this birth control thing and there's people that might doubt that, you know, you have to have a whole, you know, massive family all, all the time. Well, we can't have that because that will undo society. And thus we need to figure out all the different angles that are being, you know, that are uh, trying to undo this, this uh, uh, normal, uh, you know, normalized um, uh, uh, setup that we've had for uh, for you know, a while now, at least as long as we could personally remember, because you know we haven't lived forever, and uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, start uh, trying to target and uh, you know vilify anyone who is uh, you know you know you know not straight, anyone who you know uses you know birth control to sleep around, you know all this sort of stuff, and we're gonna you know, put those those folks down as the 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 anti-social you, know, you know demons of our modern world in order to try to prevent them from uh, you know existing or something. Yeah, and things I've read from this era, it's like same breath. Like I was I was reading a thing that was talking about the history of like comic book censorship. As mm-hmm. like same breath, the comic books are promoting homosexuality and communism. Yep. <laughs> so uh, we're just gonna. Group everything we don't like together and um, call it evil. And uh, we're not going to think too much about it because the people that we're trying to convince, well, we hope they don't think too much about it. Yeah. And nobody did because they didn't even have to address, like, your good friends. We don't even have to, like, think about the fact that same-sex attraction could or does exist in any form. Mm-hmm. Also, they kind of, they skirt around the consensuality issue. Yeah. That was also a problem with this episode. Yeah, the only character that we ever, the only two characters that we ever see, well, we only ever see one character intentionally use it. Mud claims to use it to seduce a woman who's a lizard. 
Yes. But he doesn't <laughs> believe it actually works. He's trying to do a con man sell. Well, I guess it's sort of, sort of implied he's, he's exposed to it later, but yeah. Yeah, the only character that we actually see use it intentionally for its intended purpose is Nurse Chapel, which, like, we've already talked about in previous episodes, the whole femme fatale seductress crap that they keep doing yes. on these shows. But uh, you know, specifically using a love potion is an attempt to... Uh, remove the ability of somebody else to consent to a uh, relationship, which is not good. Well, see, you get two tropes in love potions. Men who use love potions, it's funny. Sometimes it has unintended consequences. Like, haha, now too many hot, sexy women are trying to come after you. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I... We, the, the giant rock monster wants to wants to get hitched, Kirk. Oh no! Yeah, but with with men, it's either like completely creepy, like this guy is the creepy pervert character that we have to hate. That's less common. Um, it's funny. It's usually a comedy beat, like mm -hmm. love potion or love potions unintended consequences. Sometimes you have almost a. This one's less usual, but I've seen it. You have almost a rom-commy sort of, yeah, I used a love potion, but now I have real feelings for you, and I want to see if you want to be with me, even though I started our relationship non-consensually. Indeed. Um, Which, like, that goes into the same sort of problems that the other side has, um, because yes. that is, is just, that's the same kind of excuse thing. That's like, I claimed a woman, but then, like, she agreed to it later, so it's fine. Which is excusing men's horrible behavior towards women. Yeah, yeah. I, this this sort of thing pops up again later in Star Trek. I recall an episode of Voyager <laughs> where uh, Belana Torres gets like infected with Vulcan Ponfar mentality or something like that, and so she's kind of like, "I need to have you know you know sexy times here." And Tom Paris is like, "Oh no, uh, I'm gonna be killed here or something like that." And uh, and this is sort of the thing that tips their relationship into actually being a relationship down the road as opposed to sort of frenemies sort of thing. Mm. And see, that gets into the other side of this, which is when when women are shown using love potions, there's kind of two things that you get into. One, it's a woman who wouldn't normally deserve to be found sexually attractive, who's using it to trick men you know someone who's older or conventionally unattractive and then it's supposed to be funny slash horrifying it's like oh no what if you found this repulsive person you're not supposed to find attractive attractive that'd be horrible but yes uh there's a uh, it's kind of really kind of cruel because it, mm -hmm. it sort of implies that Folks can't find love unless they manipulate people if they don't meet these sort of basic, you know, you know societal beauty standards. And that's just kind of crap. Yeah, it's almost the new version of the old sort of spinster thing where like, oh, here's the the not good woman who can't get a man and now she's cheating. So, um, well, yeah, she's kind of manipulating the situation in order to get what she wants. And so you better watch out, otherwise you'll end up with the person that everyone's already rejected. <laughs> the other one is just a assault excuse. It's yes. it's just there to justify it fully. It is it is saying like a woman is going to use this on you, 
and then you are no longer responsible for her, your actions. Like, she seduced you. It's so horrible how women can so easily seduce the poor men and make them overwhelmingly attracted to them and do these things. And it's just a, a it's ground into you societally so much and for so long that it's it's like your first thought when you hear about something like, oh, a woman seduced a man into doing something. Or, like, it couldn't have been the guy's fault. Of course, you. there's just a tipping point that men hit when they just find a woman too attractive and irresistible, and then they can't control their own actions, and it's never their fault. Women shouldn't have been doing this, or shouldn't have been dressing sexy, or shouldn't have been in this situation. It's always framed as their fault. And in these kinds of stories, it's just another extension of that, where they are the woman is, like, using an, a chemical agent or magic thing or whatever to artificially induce men to want to be with them because that's just how women are. They're trying to take the choice away from men. Men aren't taking any of the power here. Men don't have power in these situations. Like, women have all the power and all the seduction things, so men actually can't have their own decision-making processes at all. And so suddenly, your your, your big, strong guys here are, are powerless before this power and uh, and... And that's that's something that you need to be afraid of. And, uh, you know, even if, you know, that's not actually the case, uh, you know, you know, you were completely you know, beyond your actions when what you did while, you know, under the influence of insert thing here. Yeah, there's a there's a historical myth of power inequity that pervades and excuses why the current power structures exist and need to be enforced. Men mm -hmm. have to be in charge and have to maintain power and control over women because it's actually women who are more powerful and dangerous. Of course, that's bullshit, but you know. Yeah, but, but historically it's been used to excuse why the power structure has to exist and function the way it does. Uh, similar to how we were talking about a few episodes ago with the witchcraft stuff. Oh, uh, if, and, you know, if we uh, let up at all uh, to maybe have even minor equality, then suddenly, you know, all the power will be going to one, you know, to, to the women there. And we, we can't have that because, yeah. so giving an inch is giving the whole thing away. Yeah. So we have to be yeah, as hard-nosed on this as possible and ever vigilant. It's the but-it-will-go-too-far argument. So, yeah, we could we could try to balance things out, but like, what if it goes too far though? You know, the women will take over, or the non-whites will take over, or oh my god, or whatever. Like, yeah. I agree that power inequity is wrong. I agree that the system is unfair, but if we change it, it might go too far. And uh, we can't have power inequity that doesn't have me on top. Yeah, because people don't want equality. Oh my god, like we'll reach equality and then fly past the other side, and then suddenly. Everything is, you know, uh, you know, flipped on his head, and uh, you know, the uh, we'll just have a different, uh, a worse situation than we have now, and uh, we can't have that. Yeah, which is particularly interesting because you're just that argument is just admitting that being on the other side of this power balance would be so unimaginably terrible that you're willing to continue harming people so that you don't have to face it. Yes, even if that wouldn't be the case anyway. Yeah, it wouldn't be the case, and in fact. Like, uh, given given the way we've structured our justice system, which I have some critiques of, it would it would arguably be more fair to completely flip it for a while because it's been flipped for so long. Like mm -hmm. wanting to bring things to parity 
like is is probably better for everyone but it's kind of unfair if you think about it like well uh sorry for all that abuse for uh, you know centuries uh we'll, we'll just say it's all good now and uh you know, suddenly racism is solved. Hooray! Yeah, you know, we solved racism in the 90s. Didn't you go to school? <laughs> I did, but uh, I didn't buy it then. <laughs> I grew up in a place, like, so white that we had no reason to question this. Like, racism is solved. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, what's for lunch? <laughs> yeah. I see no evidence to the contrary in my vicinity. You know, our, our experiences are universal and we cannot... Uh, Ever question that maybe somebody else had as a different view on this thing? Yeah. Wouldn't they have told us this in school? Yeah. If they didn't, then yeah, that's, you know, then they're lying to us and we know they can't lie to us, right? Yeah. That's not what school is for. Yes. <laughs> Oof. That's kind of depressing. Yeah. Okay. So that's how, how these kinds of media reinforce harmful gender stereotypes that keep the current power structure not only enforceable, but justifiable. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to think about snake oil. Ooh, snake oils. That that sort of works, doesn't it? Like actual snake oil from snakes. It does something. Yeah. The, the, so that's the, the the crazy thing. So the the origin of the term snake oil is actually actual snake oil <laughs> that actually kind of worked. Uh, so uh, got, go back to the 1800s in the uh, United States. Done. And you had a a bunch of uh, you know you know folks you know, uh, you know, from China coming over, uh, and, and working on the, the railroads because railroad tycoons are like, oh, Hey, cheap labor. Um, and so they, you know, and so there's a lot of, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, Chinese immigrants hanging out with, uh, you know, you know, Americans as well. And, you know, the Americans are like, well, you guys seem to be like putting this oil stuff on you, you know, after your work day. And they're like, yeah, it's, it's this, this is a snake oil that, you know, this water snake from our homeland, uh, if you put it on your joints, it actually, uh, you know, provides uh, inflammation relief. Uh, though, you know, just, I guess, different sort of language there, but that's the, the end effect there. Because, uh, you know, there's actually a, a strong, uh, like, omega-3 uh, component to the the oil. And so it's sort of like a pain relief cream that also happens to, like, actually de-inflame your joints there. And if you're working on the railroad for um, all the live long day... Uh, you know, it's kind of a nice thing to have. And so they started sharing it with, you know, the other folks there and like, yeah. And so we kind of have to import it, but yeah, this is fine. Um, but then later people were like, Hey, you know, we can make a lot of money just kind of selling things that we say ha do things. And we don't actually have to like have them work. We can patent them. We can, you know, put out advertisements on them and everything like that. So let's go ahead and do that. And so, uh, and so a, a fellow, I think it was a uh, Clark Stanley, maybe, um, let me double check that. Yeah. Yeah. Clark Stanley, uh, was like, all right, so there's this thing that actually works, but we don't really have these, uh, like uh, water river snakes here in the, in the U S so we'll just use rattlesnakes. And so he started trying to, uh, you know, sell his own snake oil saying that they were using local steaks in order to uh, produce the, uh, the, uh, the primary ingredient. Uh, and so you'd you know, have a big sh uh, show where he went around and like, I guess uh, I'm going to cut up on the snake and do the thing and boil it up and skim off the top and you're going to feel fantastic. 
Of course, that was all the show. The actual stuff he was selling didn't actually contain any snake oil. Um, and also rattlesnakes, which is what he was using most of the time uh, for the uh, the demonstration bit, do, do technically have some of the same uh, chemistry as the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the water snakes there, but like less than a third. So it was like greatly less effective, even if he had been using actual snakes. So it's sort of a... If this product was real, it would also be ineffective. So, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, and so this is all part of a, you know, a, 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 a type of uh, thing called patent medicine, where we have created this special chemical mixture that we're going to go and sell and it'll, it'll cure all your things or maybe a few select things, but that's that select things is actually a list of 30 items. Um, and eventually the uh, Food and Drug Administration became a thing and uh, was like, you know, maybe we should like clamp down on some of this because sometimes the uh, ingredients for these various mixtures is like poison and killing people. And, you know, people don't like being ripped off by charlatans. So, uh, yeah. And so eventually they started like actually regulating this stuff and, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the Clark Stanley fellow in uh, particular did end up uh, eventually getting uh, uh, you know uh, uh, charged with you know you know uh, uh, fraudulent behavior under those uh, you know the, like the 1906 Food and Drug Act I think it is uh, and um, he ended up paying a, a whopping twenty bucks for uh, you know his years and years of uh, swindling people. Oh my God, twenty whole dollars. <laughs> Yes. Like today's dollars, that's like 400, but you know, hundreds money, but <laughs> yeah. So it was like, uh, the 19 teens, uh, when, uh, he got all in trouble there. And so it was sort of very much a, all right. So this is kind of the, uh, the well-known guy that everyone knows sells this stuff. And, oh, he apparently turns out he was a fraud the entire time. And because he sold snake oil, uh, or at least something he claimed was that, uh, then that term snake oil salesman was kind of attached to everyone that sort of did this, uh, did similar stuff, even though originally the snake oil actually worked. Yeah. It's more of a, it's like more of a, what would it be? This, it's more of a, like, like don't put the wrong things in your ingredients. It's more of a fraudulent, like you're claiming what you're claiming to be selling is wrong. Not what you're selling. Doesn't do what you think it does. Yes. <laughs> And uh, so there's, I guess, a little bit difference between, uh, you know, the actual sort of historical uh, example there and, uh, you know, Harry Mudd. But uh, there was still plenty of other folks that would just kind of make all sorts of random claims about what their uh, their their various product does. So, for instance, Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. That would calm you down <laughs> or cure something or other. A lot of the things that we think of as modern sodas and especially bitters, like in the world of alcohol like bitters and other other things that you put into mixed drinks often started as one of these sort of health tonic sort of things. Indeed. You know, there are there are a number of things that are still in the patent medicine that still make some claims but are greatly reduced from what they were originally. Uh like for instance, Bayer aspirin, you know, still uh you know makes some claims on uh you know some uh some health benefits there because you know it is still aspirin. Uh and now is actually regulated to actually have it. Uh, but uh, you got other things like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, uh, grape nuts, 
and uh, graham crackers, which are all like, yeah, this doesn't actually have any health benefits. Oh, yeah, so, graham uh, crackers. Well, that was just supposed <laughs> to keep you from masturbating. <laughs> which is, you know, something that uh, people in the uh, 1800s and early 1900s were super concerned about. So, uh, you know, got to have medicine for that, too. <laughs> I love graham crackers now because the modern graham cracker would just like it would have sent graham into a coma. <laughs> he would have seen this like it's like oh my god the sin it's just too much it's got oh, sugar and cinnamon and honey in it oh my god devil spices <laughs> so uh yeah there is sort of a number of products today that are of the uh sort of same original uh origin as uh you know clark's uh snake uh, clark stanley snake oil there so uh i guess keep an eye out for that sort of thing uh you know, and uh, I guess other things that are sort of on the uh, used to make more claims, but now is kind of limited on what their claims uh, includes things like Geritol, Vicks Vapor Rub, uh, and uh, uh, oh, um, uh, Phillips Milk with Magnesia. There we go. Well, something that's actually really important to remember. Um, I had mm-hmm. we had to discuss this with a friend of mine a while back. Um, it, supplements are completely unregulated in the United States at the minute. Yep. So anything labeled as a supplement and not a medication, it could literally have anything in it. And one place that you should really look out for this is um, those pre and post workout powder things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes have stuff like meth and like yes. <laughs> full on drugs in there. It's it's bad. Like oh, I feel I feel super powered after my workout and applying the stuff here. Well, yeah, it's because you're high. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not actually like making your muscles stronger or anything like that. It's just giving you, you know, you know, you know, chemical reaction there. Mm-hmm. Which like, yeah, you're just taking a stimulant, but you don't know which stimulant you're taking, which makes it incredibly dangerous. Yes. <laughs> also, it claims that it's not a stimulant. It claims it naturally energizes. Because there are maybe two chemicals in here that are naturally occurring. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, don't uh, like I take you know vitamin d supplements and things you don't have to avoid everything but some companies are better than others and the more complicated your supplement gets the more likely who knows what the frick is in there yeah if it uh, is promising you the moon and all the stars then it's probably full of crap yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so be careful out there uh buyer beware um we've done a pro- public service here today mm-hmm. that's all right but also snake oil is a uh, cultural appropriation and you know stealing stealing uh, somebody else's stuff like whitewashing a product and selling it in your own but doing it badly yep <laughs> very directly actually yeah so yeah it's yeah, it's it's a i wonder if that's like prevented you know actual like legit oils uh you know of the snake there from becoming a thing in the u.s because like oh yeah because you know if you're selling snake oil it's obviously a fraud well this is like the, the original mm. well probably yeah. good we we have too many endangered species from hunting them down for medical purposes. True. So, but what if we start cloning all the snakes? Just because this one might work. Oh, uh, how was, was it? Uh, bug crabs or something like that? That's like super endangered because of this sort of stuff. If you're getting with just any general medicine, pangolins, tigers, several kinds, yeah, crabs, just yeah, most. Yeah, it, there's it a be, lot. There's a, a massive thing, yeah. list of things like working or not working or partially working but just the a lot of the endangered animal trade is for various levels of natural medicines indeed and so yeah we got to be careful about that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff 
But um, I guess I could talk about uh, homeopathy a little bit, but uh, that might be a, t- a subject for another uh, Yeah, that might be a little point. long. Though technically, yeah. <laughs> most homeopathic medicines labeled as supplements. Yes. <laughs> which, given some stuff we've just talked about. Well, I guess at least with homeopathy, uh, they're uh, diluting it to such a point that there's basically nothing of the original uh, substance in there anymore. So, so, yeah. So, there's that. So, it's basically a sugar pill. Uh Versus actual meth. That's good. <laughs> Which is better than nothing. And we've talked about placebos before. So, you know, yes. <laughs> not exactly the worst thing in the world, but still. Indeed. But uh, I, I guess uh, be, be mindful of what's uh, up and uh, don't be uh, pulled in too much by the the jargon and the, the fast talking here on the yeah. stuff. So well, I think that we do research kind of gotten to a lot of what we could actually get to with this episode. I'm surprised we got this much out of it. Yeah, I try to be full of surprises sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I fail at that. I think we spent, you know, we spent an hour talking about a 20-minute episode about love potions, so maybe it's time <laughs> for the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Hey everybody, welcome to the game show portion of the show. I hope you're having a wonderful night. You're all so beautiful and I love all of you. Oh, um, hopefully I'm not under the effect of anything. Ho <laughs> ho! We got our various contestants here. We got various prizes to hand out. They've been racking up some pri- uh, some points here. And so let's get started here. Uh, the first one is the uh, Dr. Love Prize, which goes to Nurse Chapel for putting to use Mud's love potion in a highly unethical move. Uh, what does she win, Gepwin? I... This one's for her, everyone on the Enterprise, Starfleet generally. I'm not clear how this works in the military, to be honest. I'd be curious to find out. But there's there's got to be an HR person on this ship that you can Indeed. talk to about these kinds of things. Where is HR? <laughs> well, they do have counselors later in uh, you know, TNG era, but uh, not quite at this point. Yeah, maybe the counselor should like, so you have thoughts about chemically raping a co-worker. Have you thought about not doing that and instead just talking to them? Yeah, maybe we should discuss. Yes, maybe try to form an actual relationship with them instead. Yeah, that, that would be a good idea. So uh, I think that might be the first time one of our, the the, 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 the prizes there is actually going to like come true in Star Trek. Hooray. So, uh. Good job, Gepwin. Oh. <laughs> uh, our second one is the Snake Oil Prize, which goes to Mud for at least thinking he's selling a fraudulent public uh, a product. What does he win, Gepwin? Mud wins a wagon, some better stuff. Like, he keeps stealing ships, and th- that's the only reason that the Federation has a problem with him 90% of the time. So, like, if he just made, like, a space-covered wagon and wrote Mud's medicine tonic wonder tonics on the side or something and just landed it and sold stuff and took off before his lizard got discovered he'd be fine indeed <laughs> just open up the side and have your little show and there you go then uh things get too hot close the doors go and uh fire off the engines and uh there you go oh our third prize is the heteronormative dystopias prize which goes to basically everyone involved in the production of this episode the network and executive meddlings etc etc and the whole society at the time for pretending a magical love potion from actually working for anyone not straight uh what do they win gepwin they win does the modern gay utopia in which we are all going to get to live soon the gay agenda is real and it's better than what we've got now so i'm all for it personally (laughs) 
Yeah, let's get some uh, fully automated uh, gay communism in here, eh? Yeah, fully automated gay communism. <laughs> We're gonna sell T-shirts. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I- I'm looking forward to that. I hope everyone else is too. And uh, go ahead and take us away, Gepwin. Yes, thank you all for joining us, and we will see you here next time on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. That was an episode. Yep, that definitely was. It was, it's okay. That was, that was, why does mud keep needing to be a thing? Stop it. <laughs> well, uh, I, I will say that of the three mud episodes we've covered that I think I prefer I mud to either of the other two. Yeah. Even though it still has its own problems. It has a lot of problems. Mud gives like more villainous and gets his comeuppance, I suppose. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, well, I guess he's villainous in the uh, taking hostages in this episode, but yeah, he's basically taking the entire ship hostage. Last uh, the previous one, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess there's also the uh, the aspect of all right, this is a time for uh, the crew to have like some some improv here and uh, be really strange, and that was weird, but kind of interesting to watch. All right, so next week, I'm seeing the word Gulliver's Travels a lot. Oh yeah. Are we going to be uh, big or small here? I don't know. People always forget the big bit when they do Gulliver's Travels because everyone remembers that old cartoon, which is, is all like tied down and such. Way older than I thought it was. I was looking this up a little bit ago. That cartoon is way older than I thought it was. <laughs> it's insane because I remember watching that 60s? as a kid. <laughs> uh, 39. 39, wow. Yeah, full length animated feature came out in 39. <laughs> Really back there, eh? Yeah. Then there was the Jack Black movie more recently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Jack Black's been in a, a lot of random sort of fairy tale-ish uh, sort of movies, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then in, when was this? In 96, there was that miniseries. I think I vaguely remember that. Me too. I vaguely remember it. I had forgotten, though. It stars Ted Danson. Seems like an <laughs> interesting choice for uh, Gulliver there. Does this mean we're going to get Ted Danson in this episode? I hope so. That'd be great. What was he doing in the 70s? I don't know. Maybe college? I don't know. <laughs> but that would be amazing. I would love that. Now now I need to look up this miniseries again. See, the thing that, that always gets me, people love Gulliver's Travels. They love to do their Gulliver's Travels thing. They love to, they love to do big person, little person comedy. They always forget mm-hmm. Gulliver's Travels was a satire. Yes. <laughs> it's like all about the, the power dynamics and, uh, you know, how silly people can be. And yeah. In fact, it's pretty much a direct early precursor to science fiction where this guy is going on voyages to different islands and every island has its own weird society that critiques something about modern society in a funny way. So, yeah. So very much Planet of the Week except islands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was an Island of the Week adventure. Yeah, which is what Star Trek is, just with planets. So anyway, um, <laughs> I'm I'm 100% sure we're not doing that, is basically my point. All the stuff I just said, probably not. Yes. I'm going to I'm gonna guess this is a lot more Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. As opposed to, you know, you know the, the political commentary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> old satirical, um, when, when was that book, when was that book written? Oh, Jonathan Swift, I didn't know that. 
that explains the satire. Seventeen twenty six. Cool. Seventeen twenty six. So we will not be traveling back to seventeen twenty six. Instead, we'll be uh, it's we'll be traveling time. forward to <laughs> so this some is the seventies. <laughs> random time. Yeah. Okay. So also, I should mention there's a little. This took me a minute. Um, there's some confusion on whether this Tariton incident or Time Trap came first. I'm going by the order on my DVDs. So, uh, so let's, let's roll with that. So next episode is going to be Tariton incident, and we'll have to do Time Trap after that because no one can agree what order these dang things played in because it's the animated series and nothing can be simple. But yeah, I'm yes. seeing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids shenanigans, something about spiroid radiation. Okay. We're going to have to have some <laughs> physics talks here. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids without the fun ant friend, I'm assuming. Next week on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the crew becomes small and tiny. <laughs> have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>